Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh God, we pray for insight and understanding as always into who you are and who we are and what kind of relationship you're calling us into with ourselves, with each other, and with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it's great to see everyone here today. For those of us in North America, we are surviving this cold weather. I know we've got people all over the, the country, but here in the United States, it is freezing. We think of, in a particular way, of our friends in Texas, including Elijah, our, uh, our intern who is down in Texas without a water today. We hope he's doing okay. We checked in on him and it seems like he's fine, although uh, no water there. So we hope everyone is doing well. Great to see Matt and Sarah. Thank you for doing the three questions today. Matt, I wish I had some uh, Shakespeare to recite today, but we'll have to leave that up to you for later. later. And Sarah, I was just researching how to stream Seinfeld, because I too am a Seinfeld fan, and I'm excited to announce to everyone today, you may already know this, that it is coming to Netflix. So Seinfeld on Netflix cannot wait. Well, we are continuing to discuss what equality in Jesus means here today as uh, we wrestle with this over this winter season. Our text today is the beginning of a letter from the Apostle Paul, a man who was one of the most prolific preachers about Jesus and the work that God had done and was doing through him. Now, there are several highlights of this text of emphasis that jump out uh, today. Firstly, Paul is very adamant that a particular group of people have been 
chosen or predestined to be holy and blameless and to be adopted as children of God. He also asserts that God chose this group before the creation of the world, in his words. Now, this revelation of Paul leads to some important questions like, how do you become a part of this predestined group of people? Or can you even become a part of this group? Or is it just something innate about who they are? Is there some innate quality that privileges someone to be a part of the group? What then inhibits someone from becoming a part of this group? A prominent interpretation of Ephesians 1, 1 through 11 is that it expresses the idea that there is indeed a particular group of people whom God has chosen beforehand to, to re- rescue, to save from this broken world. These individuals themselves are pre-selected by God and that everyone else who happens to exist on earth are also pre-selected, but not for adoption, but rather for rejection. It's actually rather disturbing idea and, and it makes us wonder how fair that kind of God who would who would pre-select an individual for one group or the other really is. And so we have to ask ourselves what does the text really say about God's choice? We'll be wrestling with this this question actually. What does the text, what does the Bible have to say about this issue of selection and and and, and God choosing people over the next two weeks? So what does the text say? What really determines whether a person has been uh, chosen or predestined? Well, if you keep reading in the text in Ephesians, down in verse 13 and 14, we see that the text actually itself kind of answers the question. Paul says, and you also. So initially he was talking kind of about himself as a, an apostle, a teacher of Jesus. But then he, he talks to, to all of those who have been part of the the community of followers of Jesus. In verse 13, he says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And so we see from the text itself that the determining factor as to whether a person is in the pre-selected group is rooted in their belief in the message that they hear about God's work through Jesus. So this text counteracts the idea that God arbitrarily chooses certain people for his kingdom and certain people for destruction. Rather, God's choice is general. It's not individual. Yes, he selects a a group made up of anyone who believes in him and is open to the Holy Spirit's transformative work. Ephesians 1 helps us to understand that the God of the Bible is actually radically inclusive. Therefore, we can take heart that God's choice isn't arbitrary. It's related to our response or a person's response to the good news that God is doing in this broken world. You know, we have, a, uh, we have a number of singing groups here at Advent Hope. Uh, some of them are made up of very accomplished singers. We just heard Nick and Jael, fantastic. Um, those singing groups, a person like myself uh, won't be joining 
uh, because they need, to, they need to, to have special skill in singing. But once, once a year, actually maybe more often than once a year, but definitely once a year, except for this last year because of the pandemic, around Christmas, we have what you might call a mass choir that sings at our holiday benefit concert and, uh, and other occasions. The beauty of that mass choir is that anyone can join to sing with a, that group. It's inherently open. And it's this choir that has been chosen before we even know the date of when the holiday benefit concert is going to be. They're chosen to sing. The group is chosen. The choir is chosen. But the beauty of that choir is that anyone can join. And they're going to represent Avonhope in singing the beloved Christmas time is here. This is kind of like the election that we're talking about here in Ephesians. God chooses the group. The group is those people who embrace the work of Jesus. The group is chosen, but individuals, they can choose to be in that group or not. This is the kind of election or predestination that Ephesians 1 is talking about. God has predestined that everyone who believes in him will be rescued. Now, I think the message of Ephesians is particularly relevant today because there are so many attempts at exclusion in the world. And if we're honest, even in the church, there's so much exclusion, people trying to keep others out. But the image we see presented of God in the Bible and here in Ephesians isn't one of a deity who's trying to limit members of his kingdom, but rather of one who isn't slow in keeping his promise to return, but rather is patient, not wanting anyone to be lost, and who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. A God who is radically inclusive. This is the picture of Ephesians, and this is the picture of the Bible. A God who is anxious to have people that has his kids adopted into his family and to be a part of what he's doing in this world and the world to come. Sadly, the church, though, has almost at times invented ways to be exclusive, expressing favoritism for specific cultures, ethnic backgrounds, racial identities, and to one gender over the other. But it's God's instruction that the church be radically inclusive, just like he is. That we are to, to be a part of a, a group that is welcoming in all, everyone. Now, it's a, this, this, this message of, of inclusion is particularly interesting right now, what we're experiencing in this, uh, in this current environment where there are social restrictions around us. We live in pods that have to be exclusive to maintain safety and prevent the spread of disease. But the kingdom isn't like the quarantine. The kingdom doesn't have these exclusions. In the kingdom, no one is to be treated as if they are less or as, uh, as if they are infected. God is inviting everyone in and inviting us as people who have decided to be a part of the group ourselves to also be inclusive. We may have to limit our exposure to others for now during the quarantine, but the kingdom itself has no such exclusions. It's open for everyone, meaning our church communities shouldn't be exclusive. We should have diversity rooted in the belief that people from every background are coming 
to faith in God's work. Revelation tells us that in the, in the, the end, end of days, when Jesus returns, that there will be people from every tribe and nation and language and tongue and people. This is the kind of community that God is calling us into. And so it leads to our big question today. What is it about human nature that inclines us to be so exclusive? Why, why, do, we, why do we push others out? Why aren't we more inclusive innately? There are a bunch of answers to that question. Uh, a couple, though, I'd like to share with you today. First of all, we aren't more inclusive because we like being special. We like to think of ourselves as unique. There's a little of this in particular, I think, in the heart of every Adventist. It's part of our tradition, if we're really honest. We are a special people. I actually remember hearing a sermon back of the GC uh, five years ago, or whenever the last one uh, was, that started with that. We are a special people, and for some reason that just rung a little hollow for me at the time. Uh, because again, there's this idea, this idea that somehow innately we have something special about us, and there's a pride in specialness. The problem, of course, with specialness is that it's very easy to start believing that one's specialness comes from some innate characteristic that only a select group of people have. And so, got to be careful getting carried away with thinking we're a little too uh, special innately, right? This is, this is God's work. It says we embrace Him, that we are included in, in, in the group that is predestined, and that's all Him. That's all His work, and He's inviting everyone into that. It's inclusive, not exclusive, Secondly, we have a problem with exclusiveness and inclusion because we imagine resources using what's called zero-sum thinking. You're familiar with zero-sum thinking. It's the general belief that, that is antagonistic toward the nature of social relationships. Uh, the people in a society or culture, that they're in competition with each other, that there's only a limited amount of resources in the world and uh, winning or losing makes all the difference, and you don't want to lose, you want to be a winner, and therefore others have to lose because there's only so much. So people who share this conviction believe that success, especially economic success, is possible only at the expense of another person's failure. So the thinking goes, if we are totally inclusive, we are going to miss out because there's only so much goodness to go around, and so we are scared that we might lose out if we are really inclusive, and yet we remember the promise of Psalm 50, that God has the cattle on a thousand hills, that reminds us that God's resources are unlimited. So why are we acting like there are limited resources? God has a plan to take care of his uh, people, so we got to be inclusive, not exclusive. This isn't a zero-sum game. God has enough for everyone. Finally, we wrestle with exclusion and excluding others because we are prejudiced to think that some are more worthy than others. You know, here in the United States, we have a very particular history with racism and injustice. But the truth is, America didn't invent racism or prejudice. It's an evil that has existed since the beginning of the world, since sin entered the world. And humans started competing with each other. 
this idea that some people or some groups are more worthy than others has been around since the fall. Worthy of prosperity, worthy of justice, worthy of peace. For many of us, this prejudice is deep-seated, maybe even subconscious, and it inspires us to be exclusive. The problem is it's not part of the character of God, a God who is radically inclusive and invites us to be inclusive as well. And so, in recognizing our own inclination toward exclusion and excluding others, we as humans have tried to fix things through legislation and equality measures in our, in our government our, our, or our institutions. And these are important. We need our government pushing for equality across, across the spectrum. We need people to be treated fairly and justly. You've probably seen, by the way, this very week where people of Asian descent are being targeted in horrific ways uh, across the country. We need our government institutions to step in and to help fight against that. But as important as those efforts are, the truth is, if we are really going to be people and a community of inclusion, we need heart transformation. It's not going to happen through legislation alone. We need heart transformation as a community and as individuals. We need conversion, if you will. God, through the Holy Spirit, to come in and do the surgery only He can do to give us the ability to be inclusive. Fortunately, we have a God who is more than willing to do this. And it starts with the work of Jesus himself, who was radically inclusive. There are a bunch of examples to Jesus' inclusive nature in his ministry, but the one that jumps out the most to me is found in Luke chapter 23, verse 40. And it tells the, the story of Jesus when he's on the cross, and he's surrounded by two men who are criminals. They've done something that uh, at least the law of that time would determine that they were supposed to be there. And so one is on one side and one is on the other side. And throughout the day, they are both throwing curses, we're told, at Jesus. They're accusing him and they're, and they're at him and they're deriding him. But as the day goes on, one has conversion in his heart. And as the, and the day is, is dying and Jesus is dying, he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, this man who up to this point had been an en enemy, and he says, today you will be with me when paradise comes. Jesus was inclusive to the outcasts in society. He was inclusive even to his enemies. He was inclusive to marginalized groups. And because of Jesus' sacrificial death, because he loves the whole world, and his death and resurrection offer hope for everyone, we too can be inclusive. If we're struggling, if you're struggling with prejudice, if you're struggling with racist behavior, because of Jesus' death, we have hope that we can be transformed by God's Spirit. He died for the entire world, and he's inviting us to be inclusive just like he is. And so as we daily embrace the work of God in Jesus, God is empowered to transform the way we think, to come in and do that surgery that needs to happen in our hearts and to take away the hardness of our hearts, the prejudice of our hearts, the injustice in our hearts, and give us a spirit of inclusion. Think of what he did 
for the formerly racist Peter, a man who embraced exclusion. In chapter 10 of Acts, we talked about this two weeks ago. We read that Peter began to, to speak. He had a conversion of his heart about inclusiveness. And he said, I now realize how true it is that God doesn't show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Like Peter, our prejudices can be overcome through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we can live lives of inclusion. We can embrace diversity. We can grow to be inclusive. That we can make friends across cultural divides, across racial divisions, and overcome the barriers that separate the people. The church should be at the forefront of this, of inclusion and friendship and brotherly sisterly love that crosses boundaries. In Jesus, we can recognize that anyone can be part of this group that is predestined. God has chosen those who choose Jesus before the creation of the world. He made this decision that this group, for those who embrace Jesus, that they are going to be his people. God's Spirit gives us the ability to love inclusively. And so, as we continue this journey talking about equality, may God remove prejudice from our hearts. May he give us a spirit of inclusion. May he help us not to fear the other. There's so much fear going around in the world right now. We need a spirit that overcomes fear. Jesus has promised to give us that, we, that, that spirit that overcomes fear so that we're not afraid of the other. May he give us a spirit of humility to be open and learn. May he give us eyes to see the world, not in terms of zero sum, but in terms of abundance. May God do this in my life and your life today. Amen. God of creation, there at the start.